Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this time in your word this morning, Lord. We thank you for all these ladies pushing through and coming out. And um, we pray for those that were not able to make it because they're sick, Lord. We know sickness is going around, but we just pray you cover them, Lord, and bless them as they're at home. Thank you, Lord, for this time in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So we have a lot of verses to cover this morning, and so we're not going to read them all or we're not going to do justice to them all. So I want to say that up front because we have a lot to cover. But I'm going to give you a short synopsis of some parts in order to get through all that we need to get through. So we ended last time in Genesis chapter 41, verse 36. So you could turn there with Joseph's sound advice to Pharaoh in regards to his dreams and the interpretation of them. We begin in Genesis chapter 41, verse 37 with Joseph being raised to be the one who is placed in the position to oversee this situation that Pharaoh's dreams has foretold will happen. The seven years of plenty and the seven years of famine. Joseph is now 30 years old at this time, as it tells us in 4146. Pharaoh saw in him that he had good advice, saw that he was a man in whom was the spirit of God, and that there was no one as discerning and wise as him as well. He publicly revered him by clothing him in a special way to honor him above all others. He put a signet ring on him, which meant whatever he sealed it with would be the law, and he made him ride in the second chariot. Joseph was now in charge of the upcoming challenges of the foretold famine and was set over the land of Egypt. So David speaks of Joseph in the Psalms about 800 years after Joseph lived. David truly understood that the injustice and misfortune which came upon Joseph was ordained by God. And that's an encouragement for us if you're in a rough spot. God's plan allowed Joseph to be sent ahead to Egypt to save the patriarchs and the whole region from the famine. And that's in Psalm 105, 16 to 22. Moreover, he called for a famine in the land. He destroyed all the provision of bread. He sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. They hurt his feet with fetters. He was laid in irons until the time that his word came to pass. The word of the Lord tested him. The king sent and released him. The ruler of the people let him go free. He made him lord of his house and ruler of all his possessions to bind his princes at his pleasure and teach his elders wisdom. So now our, our topic today is triumph over betrayal. Here we see quite a triumph. Remember the definition of triumph from a past study we did? The act, fact, or condition of being victorious or triumphant. We have seen Joseph be betrayed by his brothers clearly, and it has been th 13 years to this point. Here in Genesis 41, Joseph has been raised up to quite the position. This could have been his triumph over betrayal physically. And the reason I say physically is because the heart of our study is to have that triumph spiritually. At this moment, he could have said in his heart, if my brothers could see me now, and we can do the same in the physical, if my ex-husband could see me now, if my boss who fired me could see what I have achieved, if that so-called friend could see where I am at now, if my father who had nothing to do with me could see what a loss he had, 
but the spiritual triumph may not necessarily be there. And that's the heart of our study. So back to Joseph. Then once again, we see a few other things happen. He gets a new name, Zaphnath Paneah, the Hebrew form of the word meaning revealer of a secret. He also gets married and has two children. Genesis 41, 51 to 52 tells us the children are Manasseh, the name meaning, for God has made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. And the name of the second, he called Ephraim. For God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. So here is a triumph once again. Did he truly forget his father's house and all the pain he experienced by the hand of his brothers? Or has God allowed a healing? And I think God has been working out a healing in his heart. And it is beyond being triumphant physically. He has not become bitter, but better. He has not whined, complained, or been rough and mean to others, but kind and humble, compassionate, for instance, as we saw in the, the last lesson, towards the butler and the baker and their sad countenance. God has been working in this man's life. He has refined him in the fire. He has trained him and equipped him for such a time as this. And we see Esther was told by her cousin Mordecai in Esther 4.14, when the Jewish people's lives were at stake, yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And this goes back to God's timing that we studied last lesson. God is in control, putting the chess pieces in place. I think Joseph's triumph over, over betrayal came well before he even sees his brothers. It has been working out in his life because he has allowed God to do so. So the definition of betrayal is the act of exposing or delivering someone to an enemy through treachery or disloyalty. The act of disappointing a person's trust, hope, or expectations. The act of revealing information in violation of confidence. Failure to keep or honor a promise, principle, cherished memory, etc. And when I looked at the synonyms of betrayal, I found unfaithfulness, sellout, Double Crosser and Judas Kiss, which I thought was interesting that they wrote that. Maybe some of you have experienced this in some form or other, and maybe you have even been the betrayer, and that's a whole other study, but gleaned from the word in this study nonetheless. In our workbook, it says some key things about betrayal. Betrayal can be a living grief, which follows us relentlessly through life. When loyalties are broken, scars are left on both the betrayed and the betrayer. You are not unseen in your sorrow. God saw it, and he alone will set things right. Elsewhere, I read, betrayal is a gross violation of trust and can be one of the most devastating forms of pain inflicted upon a human being. The suffering of betrayal is often magnified by a sense of vulnerability and exposure. For many the pain of betrayal is worse than physical violence, deceit, or prejudice. Betrayal destroys the foundation of trust. And I have watched, and I'm sure you have all as well, several people go through divorce due to unfaithfulness or betrayal, and the pain is horrific to watch, and it seems worse than death. It is so deep. I have seen kids feel betrayed by parents who abandoned them, people whose best friends have betrayed them. Unfortunately, it does happen, even in Christian circles. There are examples of betrayal in the Bible. Joseph's own father, 
was betrayed by his father-in-law, tricked into marrying someone he had not agreed upon. That's in Genesis 29. And that mess brought us to this very mess that we've been studying, which added favoritism and all that to family dynamics. David was no stranger to betrayal. Psalm 55, 12 through 14 says, It is not an enemy who taunts me. I could bear that. It is not my foes who so arrogantly insult me. I could have hidden from them. Instead, it is you, my equal, my companion, and close friend. What good fellowship we once enjoyed as we walked together to the house of God. So the closer the relationship, obviously, the greater the pain of betrayal. Jesus knew the pain of betrayal firsthand. The worst, most treacherous betrayal of all time was Judas's betrayal of Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And that's noted in Matthew 26, 15. The prophecy in Psalm 41, 9 says, Even my own familiar friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. And the fruition of that is in John 13, 18. So we will discuss more about betrayal later and how we can biblically deal with it. But we're going to get back to Joseph. So Joseph did a lot of organizing and detailed work in the seven plentiful years to store up for the seven years of famine. So let's go to Genesis 41, 53. Then the seven years of plenty, which were in the land of Egypt, ended, and the seven years of famine began to come as Joseph had said. So now Joseph is 37 years old. The famine was in all the lands, but in all the lands of Egypt there was bread. So when all the land of Egypt was famished, pay attention to these words, famine, famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Then Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, go to Joseph. Whatever he says, you do. The famine was over all the face of the earth. And Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians. And the famine became severe in the land of Egypt. So all the countries came to Joseph in Egypt to buy grain because the famine was severe in all lands. So many times we see that word famine in some fashion. So this was no light event in the world because all were coming to Joseph We can assume Joseph was possibly expecting his family to show up, at least someone from it. Because of Joseph's wise preparation, Egypt became a supply source for the whole region, which suffered this severe famine. Genesis 42, let's go to Genesis 42. One and two. When Jacob saw that there was great was grain in Egypt, Jacob said to his sons, "Why do you look at one another?" And he said, "Indeed, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down to that place and buy for us there, that we may live and not die." We have reason to believe that this happened in the first year of the famine. Joseph, now about thirty-eight. And it didn't take long for the big problems of the world to find their way to the home of Jacob. Jacob asked his sons, why do you look at one another? Jacob noticed a strange expression, possibly, among the brothers when Egypt was mentioned. Most likely because they lived with a terrible secret for 20 years of selling their brother into slavery. They probably never talked about it, but it never left them. Any mention of Joseph or Egypt most likely brought back the guilt. It was most likely a trigger for them when we talked about triggers in past studies. Genesis 42, 3. So Joseph's 10 brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt, but Jacob did not send Joseph's brother Benjamin with his brothers, for he said, lest some calamity befall him. So we see Jacob holds back Benjamin, 
Benjamin is the other son of his favorite wife, Rachel, so he's the full-blooded brother of Joseph. Benjamin is now about 23 years old that I've read, meaning he was very young, like three, when Joseph last saw him. Verse 5, And the sons of Israel went to buy grain among those who journeyed, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. Now Joseph was governor over the land, and it was he who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed down before him with their faces to the earth. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he acted as a stranger to them and spoke roughly to them. Then he said to them, Where do you come from? And they said, From the land of Canaan to buy food. So Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. Then Joseph remembered the dreams which he had dreamed about them and said to them, You are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. And they said to him, No, my Lord, but your servants have come to buy food. We are all one man's sons. We are honest men. Your servants are not spies. So they're saying, We are not spies. We are brothers. And it makes me think of, um, this is just cute. Our uh, son has five boys, and they were all in the car one night getting ready to leave. And um, I went to say goodbye to them, and I just said, oh, my gosh, look at all you cutie patooties. And the little redhead goes, we are not cutie patooties. We are brothers. (laughs) And that's what he reminds me. We are not spies. We are brothers. But it was so cute. So anyways, so here's Joseph's dream has come true. They have all bowed down to him. Why? Because they knew this guy had full authority to grant them food or not. They had no idea who he was. He spoke to them through an interpreter, even though he understood everything they said. He had on all his Egyptian garb, and it had been 20 to 21 years since he's seen them. He has no idea where their hearts are at after all these years. Has anything changed? I'm sure he's wondering. If he had harbored bitterness and unforgiveness from how they betrayed him, he had full authority to have them killed right there on the spot. But he didn't. To me, this is the climax of the triumph over betrayal. The icing on the cake comes later, and the cherry on top, the full reconciliation between them all, even later in another chapter. But this shows a triumph triumphant spiritual heart in Joseph. Once again, here he is faced with his betrayers, not knowing if their hearts have changed, but yet he he has forgiven them. I read this saying this past week, when you learn to sit at the table with your Judas, you'll understand the love of Christ. And that's what Joseph was doing. Genesis 42, verse 12. But he said to them, no, but you have come to see the nakedness of the land. And they said, your servants are 12 brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And in fact, the youngest is with our father today and one is no more. So here they mention him that he is no more. He does not exist to them. Painful to hear, I would imagine, but at least they remembered him. I'm thinking, well, they counted him. Verse 14, but Joseph said to them, it is as I spoke to you saying, you are spies. In this manner, you shall be tested. And this word tested in the original means proved or scrutinized or examined. So we see Joseph is intent on seeing where their hearts are at, although he has worked through the forgiveness process. And as we talked about on the lesson on bitterness, forgiveness and trust are two different things. You can forgive and not trust that particular person, but you can always trust God. 
So let's continue in verse 15. By the life of Pharaoh, you shall not leave this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of you and let him bring your brother and you shall be kept in prison that your words may be tested to see whether there is any truth in you or else by the life of Pharaoh, surely you are spies. So he put them all together in prison three days. Then Joseph said to them the third day, do this and live for I fear God. So he reverences God. He puts God first And he does not think he is above God in any way. And God has had him change things a bit. If you are honest men, in verse 19, let one of your brothers be confined to your prison house. But you go and carry grain for the famine of your houses and bring your youngest brother to me so your words will be verified and you shall not die. And they did so. And so here's the icing on the cake coming up. As I spoke of earlier, he gets to hear their hearts in verse Genesis 42:21 Then they said to one another, "We are truly guilty concerning our brother, for we saw the anguish of his soul and he pleaded with us and we would not hear. Therefore, this distress has come upon us. We are truly guilty concerning our brother." Their guilty conscience told them this complicated mess was because of the way they treated Joseph before. So this is a good sign. The quickness with which they associate these events with their sin against Joseph meant that they most likely often remembered that sin. It quickly came to the surface. With betrayal, the triumph definitely comes to a new level when there is acceptance of their own sin, and it comes full circle when there is true repentance on the betrayer's part. I think Joseph had triumph regardless, but this took this triumph to a new level when he heard this from his brothers. And we do not always get this level of triumph because there is that other person involved. And if they do not repent or change, then what? We do as Joseph did prior to this time. We keep serving the Lord amidst the heartache. We keep straight, not looking to the right or the left. We trust God above all else. And we continue to have integrity, kindness, hope, And we continue to worship our God. And so at the end of the study, I'm going to give you some of these things we can do with scriptures attached to them. But we're going to go back to our story, Genesis 42, 22. And Reuben answered them saying, did I not speak to you saying, do not sin against the boy and you would not listen? Therefore, behold, his blood is now required of us. But they did not know that Joseph understood them for he spoke to them through an interpreter and he turned himself away from them and wept. Then he returned to them again and talked with them and he took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. He turned himself away from them and wept. This was a very emotional time for him. Joseph was overcome with emotion as he saw and understood this work of God in his, the conscience of his brothers. In Joseph's heart, there was already a mighty work done, but now he sees a work in their hearts as well. So reconciliation is possible. 2 Corinthians 5.18 tells us, And all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. We have that gift given to us, the gift to help others reconcile themselves to God, and that can be and should be foremost a right relationship with God before we can truly be right with others. And it's amazing to me that Joseph will let them go without revealing himself to them. I couldn't imagine doing that. I am like a person that just would jump on it and say, 
it's me, it's me. And I would, you know, because I'm very quick to do something. I'm a reactionary person, as I've shared with you guys. And I'd so want to tell them who I was, especially after hearing what they said. But everything takes time. And allowing God time to work is crucial in our lives. And I don't always do that. For example, a round trip from Canaan to Egypt is about six weeks. So for them to go back to their father and then come back is going to be another six weeks. And then you have to take into consideration how long they stay at home before they return back with Benjamin. So he's not going to see them again for quite some time. But he knew they needed food. And then they will have to come back. And so he was a wise man. Joseph is led by God. As we have read and seen, the Lord was with Joseph. In chapter 39, we read that many times. I think it was six times that it said the Lord was with Joseph. That has not changed. More work needed to be done in these brothers' hearts. And it's an encouragement to us not to rush the work of God. Psalm 27, 14, wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thy heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Genesis 42, 25, then Joseph gave a command to fill their sacks with grain, to restore every man's money to his sack, and to give them provisions for the journey. Thus he did for them. So Joseph did this for his brothers before they were fully reconciled to him. They had yet to be. But he loved them and cared for them, and he gave to them, and they didn't even know it. In the same way, Jesus gives us unexpected, undeserved blessings. He gives to us and gave to us before we were even reconciled to him. Genesis forty-two twenty-six. So they loaded their donkeys with the grain and departed from there. But as one of them opened his sack and to give his donkey feed at the encampment, he saw his money, and there it was in the mouth of his sack. So he said to his brothers, my money has been restored, and there it is in my sack. Then their hearts failed them, and they were afraid, saying to one another, what is this that God has done to us? So this was a gift, but because of their guilt, they did not see it that way. Verse 29, then they went to Jacob, their father, in the land of Canaan, and told him all that had happened to them, saying, the man who is Lord of the land spoke roughly to us and took us for spies of the country. But we said to him, we are honest men. We are not spies. We are 12 brothers, sons of our father. One is no more, and the youngest is with our father this day in the land of Canaan. Then the man, the Lord of the country, said to us, by this I will know that you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers here with me. Take food for the famine of your households and be gone. And bring your youngest brother to me, so I shall know that you are not spies, but that you are honest men. I will grant your brother to you, and you may trade in the land. Then it happened, as they emptied their sacks, that surprisingly each man's bundle of money was in his sack. And when they and their father saw the bundles of money, they were afraid. And Jacob, their father, said to them, You have bereaved me. Joseph is no more, Simeon is no more, and you want to take Benjamin? All these things are against me. Then Reuben spoke to his father saying, kill my two sons if I do not bring him back to you. Put him in my hands and I will bring him back to you. And I'm like, yeah, right? Kill the grandkids? No, that's not going to work. Are you serious? But I mean, he was trying to show that he was very serious. But he said, my son shall not go down with you for his brother is dead and he is left alone. And so here, many people feel that favoritism is creeping up again. He's saying he is left alone. He's counting Benjamin as the only one left or is he just meaning the only one left of his wife, Rachel? 
We weren't there, so we just can kind of leave it at that because he did mention Simeon before. He said, you've bereaved me, Simeon's gone. So anyways, it keeps going. If any calamity should befall him along the way in which you go, then you will bring my gray hair and with sorrow to the grave. So we're going to find out in next chapter what he decides to do. It's to be continued, but we're going to go back to this topic of betrayal. So Joseph is an amazing example for us. Many, many years have passed. He obviously did not harbor unforgiveness. He did not drink the poison that we talked about when we talked about bitterness. Or he would not have been the man we have seen or do see in this account today. He came to this place in his life of being an overseer and had full authority to have gone after his brothers at any time. Even when he was raised up, he could have went and looked for his family, sent somebody to check on them. He didn't do that, but he waited and trusted in God. He took the antidote, forgiveness, towards his brothers. He did not necessarily trust them, but for, to, for him to look at them all bowing before him, not knowing where their hearts were at, and he did not react with anger, retaliation, or haughtiness, and I told you so, as my dreams have come true. This is an amazing picture of what Christ has done for us. And I'm pretty sure there are situations of betrayal in this room where the pain has been so deep and you can be hurting deeply still. And we really can't compare our hurts because they are real to us individually regardless. And so I don't want to make light of what I know people have experienced as deep betrayal in their lives, but I do want to give some biblical reminders in the midst of betrayal. Now, these are not all in order, except I think the first one should stay as the first one. So you could jot them down if you want. There's no formula. These are just things to keep in mind and be proactive in. And these things are not always easy in the midst of a deep hurt, but they are God's way based on the word. And so the first one that I think should remain the first one is trust God above all else and pour out our heart before him. The tendency is to go to someone else first when we're hurt. And I'm quite guilty of that myself. When we have a new hurt, we're like, who can I call and tell, you know, or just get prayer for. But we should go to God first. So the first key in betrayal is to cry out to God. Though we may want to strike out at the betrayer, we need to take our cause to the Lord. Psalm 62, 8 says, trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. David in Psalm 55, which I mentioned earlier, when he mentioned his heartfelt cry of a broken trust, later in that same psalm, he states how to overcome and deal with the pain. He dealt with his betrayal by giving it back to the Lord. Psalm 55, 17, evening and morning and at noon, I will pray and cry aloud and he shall hear my voice. Down in 22a, he says, cast your burden on the Lord and he shall sustain you. 23c, but I will trust in you. And another Psalm 105.4 says, seek the Lord and his strength, seek his face evermore. So another one that we can do is receive wise counsel. After, obviously, you've gone to the Lord first. Proverbs 1.5, a wise man will hear and increase learning and a man of understanding will attain wise counsel. Proverbs 20.18, plans are established by counsel. By wise counsel, wage war. 
Proverbs 24, 6, for by wise counsel, you will wage your own war. And in a multitude of counselors, there is safety. Now, that doesn't mean that you go to a bunch of people and tell everybody all the horrible news. We need to be discreet, discreet, but don't just go to that one person who's going to tell you what you want to hear. Go and get wise counsel from someone who's going to speak the truth in love to you from God's word. And it might be painful to hear. Another um, biblical antidote is remember it is the Lord Christ who you serve. Colossians 3.24, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance for you serve the Lord Christ. Another one, keep looking straight ahead as Joseph did. Not looking to the right or the left. Proverbs 4:25 to 27. Let your eyes look straight ahead and your eyelids look right before you. Ponder the path of your feet and let all your ways be established. Another one, continue to have integrity and kindness. Another key in overcoming the pain of betrayal is to remember Jesus's example. Jesus did not become vindictive, bitter, or angry. Just the opposite. After receiving the traitor's kiss from Judas we mentioned earlier, Jesus addressed Judas as friend in Matthew 26:50. Continue to have hope is another one. Proverbs 13:12, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but when the desire comes, it is a tree of life. Job 14:7. I thought this was a really pretty Verse, for there is hope for a tree if it is cut down that it will sprout again and that its tender shoots will not cease. So there's always hope when things look really bad. Psalm 119.14, you are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. Romans 15.13, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Another one is to exhibit the fruit of the spirit, asking the Lord to fill you afresh moment by moment, because in a betrayal, it truly is a moment by moment situation. The pain is so intense. The fruit of the spirit, as most of you know, in Galatians 5, 22, 23 is love, joy, peace, long suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such there is no law. And we definitely need the Holy Spirit for this next verse to implement. 1 Peter 3, 9. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing. Because to this you are called so that you may inherit a blessing. And so we need the Holy Spirit. When you've been betrayed, we definitely need to be filled with the Holy Spirit in order to implement any of these things. Another one is to remember, and this is very difficult, all works together for good, Romans 8, 28. Now, this is not a verse to speak flippantly to somebody who's going through a trial. Believe me, it's not something people are ready to hear. You have to make sure, but for you, you can hear it and you can listen and you can put it in. Um, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And I read this about this verse and Joseph. Joseph did not have Romans eight twenty eight on paper, but he had it in his heart. A Christian today may very well have it on paper, but not in the heart. And something we have to process on our own. Another one is work toward forgiveness. Despite the pain, there is a way we can overcome betrayal. The power comes directly from God and the strength of forgiveness. And we know from our lesson on triumph over bitterness, the key to all of this remains the same, forgiveness. 
It truly is the antidote to these hard life issues that are so painful. Colossians 3.13, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. Ephesians 4.32, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. And here I just want to give a little update on a friend that I shared with on when I taught on bitterness. A friend of mine whose father beat her terribly, and she would always keep going back and ministering to him, and it would go good for a while, and then the abuse would happen again as an adult. Um, And the last time that I talked to her, you know, he had swung at her, and she had to pull away again. And she has just been an example for me of this forgiveness, because she just continues to honor her parents. Sometimes she has to put those boundaries up. Well, yesterday I called her for her birthday, and the first thing she says to me is, I'm back with my parents. And I go, what do you mean you're back with your parents? You're living with them? She says, no, 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 no. I'm taking care of them. My dad has dementia. Her dad, who has beat her horribly, she's taking care of him. And I, I told her, you are such an example. It makes me cry because, you know, it's just, it's just the Holy Spirit in her. That's all it can be. So I thought that was really neat to share. Okay, another one is remember, nothing is too hard for God, which that little testimony just shows. Jeremiah thirty-two seventeen. Ah, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. There is nothing too hard for you. And I know there is much more we can glean from the word. But lastly, what I have for you is to continue to worship our God regardless of your situation. And ultimately, in a very distressing time, it can be very hard to worship. It truly is a sacrifice. Psalm 54, 6, I will freely sacrifice to you. I will praise your name, O Lord, for it is good. Psalm 107, 22, Let them sacrifice the sacrifice of thanksgiving and declare his works with rejoicing. Psalm 116, 17, I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and will call upon the name of the Lord. Psalm 141, 2, let my prayer be set before you as incense, the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Hebrews 13, 15, by him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. So worship can be really hard in the midst of betrayal to continue praising and adoring God because of who he is. And I have been in those times when I really felt deep despair and I thought, I can't even worship the Lord. I was just under the table, I felt like. I was on the edge. Um, So there were some very, very dark times spiritually for me, especially with our older son. And we have to die to self to give that praise to the Lord, no matter what we're going through. And so I have a couple pictures. Uh, Our son from North Carolina sent me these pictures of fall trees, and they're so pretty. And I'm laying in bed thinking of these beautiful pictures, and I just thought, This one sentence, when we die to self, we can be as beautiful as a fall tree. Because those trees are dying. But look how beautiful they are. So when we die to self, we can be as beautiful as a fall tree. So 
a real quick side note before we end. Um, we all have blind spots of our own. And so ask the Lord to show you those. So um, we're going to end with all of us worshiping the Lord. We're going to be whatever place we're in. He deserves our praise regardless of the heartbreak, regardless of the answers of yes, no, or wait. And you're going to hear that in the song. It's a song by Phil Wickham that addresses this very thought that no matter what, no matter what is going on, he is worthy. He's worthy of our praise. And so we're going to do that, and I'll come up and pray after that, and we're going to play that song. The words should come up, and you guys can worship. I'm going to sing Till my heart starts changing Oh, I'm gonna worship Till I mean every word Cause the way I feel And the fear I'm facing Doesn't change who you are Or what you deserve I give you my worship
Beautiful. Oh my gosh, I love it. I just play it over and over and praise the Lord at home. So let's pray. And then just remember that there's four lines for food, and you can go to your tables if you need a group. Let me know. Heavenly Father, you are worthy, and we are so grateful for who you are, no matter what we're going through. You're still God, you're still supreme, you're still the mighty God, and you still minister to us no matter where we're at and so we thank you we praise you for being who you are in our lives our rock so thankful we have you even when we may have been betrayed by others we know you're always there always there for us so we give this time to you lord as we get into our groups help us to glean from one another on this topic as well as the rest of the verses that we couldn't do justice to bless this food to our bodies in jesus name amen <laughs> 